Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Everybody. Welcome back to all new, all different Uncanny X's for Podcast, where we examine the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it begins its multi-title 80s expansion. I'm your host, Jonah. I'm Kyle. I'm Dylan. And I'm Nico. And man, we hope you survived the experience. Why? Because once again, we're taking a look at giant size X-Men number one, and it's just, it's a lot to ask, guys. It's, it's a lot to ask. So here's what's going on. In the grand scheme of the X-Men, where we're at, a book by the name of Special Edition X-Men came out, featuring an all-new story by Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum showcasing Kitty's birthday as she and Ileana basically gave new readers a tour of the mansion for all intents and purposes. This book also contained Giant Size X-Men number one. Kind of like to say here was the classic X-Men and along with New Mutants this should give you a sense of everything you need to know about the new generation. Well, we're only about two years from classic X-Men number one with its retelling featuring additional work by Steve Leoloa. So it just made sense to take a step back and re-examine Giant Size X-Men and its impact on comics forever. While Classic X-Men number one and Special Edition are by Chris Claremont, Giant Size X-Men featured a very minimal contribution from Chris Claremont, only suggesting, believe it or not, throwing the bad guy into the sun. Other than that, the story was written by Len Wein, who was also responsible, along with Dave Cockrum, for creating a number of the characters. Jonah, when we started this project, and man, to talk about it, we really did start this project quite some time ago. We took a look at Giant Size X-Men number one, along with a slew of other stories like X-Men 94 through 100, Giant Size Fantastic Four number four, as well as classic X-Men 1 through 8. Now, that was just about a year ago from the recording of this. That was released September 26th. This is being recorded September 29th. Has your opinion changed? How did you feel looking back on this story with all of these new different characters? perspectives. Well, I still think it is one of the slowest reads we've ever done. I think they spent a lot on certain characters and other characters that they were going to keep didn't get that much information about them. I think that it was a big old hodgepodge and whoever said the words, what are we going to do with all these X-Men said it the best, but I still think it actually holds up well enough. I think it succeeded in what it was trying to do. I like that you pointed out that it gave us enough of an idea on who everyone is because and I get to say it for the first time in what 30 episodes the moratorium should be lifted by now and I'm getting to it first Sunfire's kind of a hothead <laughs> along with Wolverine who goes into his berserker no no here's what happened okay Dylan it's from a time before you were a part of this nightmare crew so each one of us made a Sunfire is a hothead joke on a different show at one point on one of the different feeds whether it was Defenders X-Men Captain Britain so we officially retired 
considered the ability to reference Sunfire being a hothead. Excuse me, I believe that my reference was towards the Human Torch. Oh, you are so true. You are so true, Kyle. And just for that, Kyle, the moratorium has been restored for me, but you, sir, are now permanently (laughs) immune to the hothead moratorium. Yay, I can use it forever and ever. And ever and ever. (laughs) Which, that brings me to your thoughts, Kyle. Now, I know you'd read Giant Size X-Men before in your time, but this was your first time reading it as a part of this crew. You had been with the network at the time, but you were focused more on champions. Was it fun to jump back into the earliest adventure of the all-new, all-different Giant Size X-Men, or did you find it total cattywampus? It was fun to go back and re-experience this. I am experiencing kind of a temporal whiplash because of all of the reading that I'm doing for the current run of uh, House of X and Powers of Ten, but it was fun getting to see my original group of X-Men coming together. It's been such an incredible regenesis for the X-Men's regenesis on this show right now, because whether it's the synergistic relationship between Jonathan Hickman's, along with his brilliant artist Laraz and Silva's interpretation of the X-Men in House of X and Powers of Ten, which I have to let you guys know, we actually got a fan comment. Evidently, our listeners are scandalized by the fact that we're not referring to it as Powers of Ten. So if we can just try and commit to the bit, please, it's House of X and Powers of Ten. And I just thought I should let you guys know. So <laughs> wait, wait a second to totally quote Monet for that one fan and everyone else that we keep messing up. For we will try harder. We will try harder. I'm so happy that we're seeing the new mutants have so much synergy with what's happening now. That we're seeing the giant size X-Men relaunch have synergy with what's happening now. But I'm going to be honest. I do not recognize what Krakoa has become. That it's always been that, you know, it's, it's the nature of retcons. And I understand that. It's a general understanding that a retroactive change to continuity is what's best for the story. Or at least it should be what's best for the story. But I am kind of jarred that... This is basically Frankenstein's fucking island monster. And whether it's the, like, there's no other way to describe him, fucking adorable Chris Bacalo, son of Krakoa, or it's the gorgeous house and powers Krakoa, it bears no visual resemblance or character personality to this Krakoa in any way. Dylan, had you had any reaction to seeing the vastly different place Krakoa started, knowing that Hickman says that he's been cooking this up in his mind since he was a kid? To see the differences in Krakoa from when he appeared in Giant Size X-Men to what Krakoa is now, it's just awesome and nostalgic-like in a completely different way of... I love that Hickman pulled from one of the most or the most important aspect or time for the X-Men, and that's when the X-Men were coming back in giant size with these other new members. It's just pretty awesome that we are kind of going back to the really cool starting point for the X-Men. Jonah, with everything you know now and the distance that you've had a year since you last read this story, has the word Krakoa, 
taken on a whole new meaning for you? Well, yes, because the last I've seen of Krakoa is, you know, being yeeted into space and into the sun. But knowing that Krakoa plays such a vital role in current X history and current X timeline and how vital Krakoa is to the master plan of Charles Xavier during that time, it's pretty interesting to see how little time Krakoa monster gets. But I think Krakoa's importance now is great because what's better than taking a character or villain in this case that, you can correct me if I'm wrong, must have been largely forgotten and given it this whole new purpose in life. Whether he was forgotten or certainly relegated to the scrap heap of villains, Krakoa has not played any great significant role over the last 50 years. Of course, we didn't just take a look at Giant Size X-Men. We took a look at the complete oeuvre of Giant Size X-Men, which meant we also took a look at X-Men Special Edition. And I'm so excited to say, guys, this one was brand new for me. I had no idea this thing existed. It was actually brand new for me, too. I had never read this. I had never heard of it. I didn't know there was a Kitty's birthday story. I didn't realize there was a story where Ileana was only a little creepy. I really did not see this thing coming. And oh my God, it reads like a buy our magazine. Buy it. Buy our magazine. Buy it. We're releasing it like weekly at this point. Buy it. Buy it now. Come get it. (laughs) This was... This was seriously trying to sell me on these two young women as heroes because I bet they were the hardest sell. I bet that was the hardest part about getting new readers to pick up X-Men. At this point, comics fan base was at least perceived to be mostly male, if not due to marketing and accessibility primarily targeted to men. And I imagine the hardest thing was convincing young men to pick up a book that focused on a 14-year-old girl's adventures going to dance class. And this was a cool way without... Having Kitty face off against another alien ripoff, I felt. Now, Dylan, as this was your first time reading it, did this feel like a piece of the Claremont magic out of nowhere again? It really did. It was refreshing to see basically the exact same panels again, but told in a kind of different order. And to add in the part with Kitty and Ileana, it, it was just a nice little flashback, I think. Also, if I can just talk about magical little flashbacks coming out of nowhere, at the time of recording this, comics this week just saw a really kind of magical thing happen. Chris Claremont once again reunited with Nico all-time favorite Bill Sienkiewicz for The New Mutants War Children. This marks their second return to their classic era of The New Mutants. The first one was X-Men Unlimited number 34, which featured a full-length all-new story featuring their amazing lineup. This thing is great great and it reads pretty close to the quality of their original run so I would definitely get your hands on it if you can. In the last few years I feel Chris Claremont has been accused of overscripting in the modern day but I feel he did not overscript this one. There was maybe a few more Bill Sienkiewicz splash pages than I expected but on the whole I thought it was a charming addition to a legendary run. Has anybody else had a chance to read it? I did. I thought that it was a really fun book. It kind of felt a little all over the place at times, but it, overall it was just a uh, entertaining story. Dylan, did you get a chance to look at it yet? I actually did not, but it's on the list. I'm adding it to the read order for The New Mutants by Claremont and Sienkiewicz. So that and the Unlimited story are both going to get added where they would likely go in that run. So you're going to be reading it in the near future for this show. Gotcha. 
Kyle, had you ever read this story before? No, I had never heard of it. I was not expecting what I read, and I honestly found it to be really enjoyable. It was fun, and just seeing those two girls have a good day was really enjoyable. And I love putting it that way. Getting to see them have a good day was enjoyable, because for so long now, I feel like every time something even 1% good happens to Kitty Pride, she is immediately struck down by misery business yet again. Jonah, this was everybody's first time reading this story, so you're on the same page as us. Tell me, what did you think about Kitty and Ileana's A Day Like Any Other? What I liked about this issue is highlighting Kitty and Ileana's friendship. I'm gonna say this, it's a weird situation no matter what, because Kitty used to be reading Ileana bedtime stories when she was six, and I don't think there's any way to address that non-weirdly, but I'm glad the two could be best friends, and even Ileana trying to wingman for her brother, trying to push them together. I'll say this, I didn't care for what this issue was meant to do, but I liked some of the smaller details, such as the friendship between Ileana and Kitty, and looking at everybody's rooms. Absolutely, the tour was great, and putting it in Cockrum's pen worked really well for me. It was nice to see Cockrum, not that I don't think the world of Paul Smith, but it was cool to see Cockrum again. Every little glimpse of Cockrum's a lot of fun. So who doesn't love to glimpse Cockrum's? <laughs> I'm so happy with some of the work that goes into the archival on these Uncanny X-Men omnibus. I'm not trying to promote anything, but because I'm about to say something really abrasive about Marvel Unlimited, it's actually really fucking hard to find some of this on Marvel Unlimited. Sometimes the book was called Giant Size something. Sometimes it was Giant Sized. Sometimes there was a hyphen. Sometimes there wasn't. Some things are listed under The X-Men. Some things are listed under X-Men. Some things are listed under The New Mutants. Some things are listed under New Mutants. There's not enough consistency where you can conveniently or cleverly navigate Marvel Unlimited. And even if you were to go into one of the click all of the important issues of a character, that doesn't give you a map unless you sit there and create like Excel spreadsheets. So having some of the archival work done for me in these omnibus editions really does make a huge difference. And as a fan, I appreciate having the complexities of reading it live laid out for me. There's a couple of things that I think are really important that just like the stories don't function without them. Like I'm really glad the new mutant epic collection features the uncanny X-Men issue where the X-Men come home and fight the new mutants in uncanny 167. I don't feel like the new mutants makes a whole lot of sense without it. So they're doing really good work to ensure the quality of the read. Now, of course, that leaves us saddled with a story I found myself with a unique reaction to. We are, of course, returning to the pages of classic X-Men. Every time, I promise, we're never going to read this fucking book one more time. And I honestly think the hardcore cutdown of Giant Size X-Men number one for classic X-Men number one, if you just add back in gathering everybody up, it's like a pretty decent read. Just keep the battle on Krakoa down to five pages. It's really not bad. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to describe it because you're not wrong because they really did sum the Krakoa stuff up in three panels and everything before that in just a few more, just only focusing on the relationship between Charles and Scott but the rest of it was fascinating though i say this again warren comes off horrible and the worst white knight i have ever seen oh oh we're gonna get to the backup story oh believe oh, you you me oh, okay oh we're gonna get there i promise but dylan had you ever read the classic cut down 
of Giant Size before? I had. I think it was probably when I was younger and first getting into comics. I think it was actually my first time reading the Krakoan story. And I was like, why is... You know, most people's first times are uneven and kind of fast. So nothing to be embarrassed about. <laughs> wow. It's all in the pacing problem. I, I totally forgot what I was saying, but... It, it is kind of sad that they cut Krakoa pretty short in that, because if you're someone who's just catching up in X-Men or just starting there, then Krakoa does not seem important at all. No, really, it becomes a bystander, almost as if Krakoa wasn't an important thing to Claremont, so that when he was put in charge and given the opportunity to reframe the story, he made this a story about people meeting. Okay, so... I don't know if it's that it turns out Xavier's just done so many worse things, but ultimately, I just find this Xavier kind of like a gossipy old queen, eavesdropping on people psychically. I'm gonna say I was too hard on Xavier in this story the first time around. Jonah, on reread, what is your thought about Xavier eavesdropping on Alex and Lorna? Jealous, because he doesn't have that yet. He does not have his bird lady yet to stroke her plume with his weird bald head. He's not the Imperial Slam piece yet. Nah, he's no Imperial Slam piece yet. Dylan, Kyle, we had made a lot of accusations that Xavier was rather untoward early on, in classic in particular, using his telepathy to eavesdrop on people kind of on the regular. What did you guys think about these pages? The... Like we just mentioned, the Lorna and Havoc one was really creepy. The other ones, yeah, he was like spying on everyone, but it seemed more like he was just checking in to make sure everyone was okay after the ordeal. But like for Alex and Lorna, it just looked like he was just like, oh, these two are together. Let's watch. But as for the rest of it, I I didn't get too creeped out by it because it's just Xavier making sure that everyone is in a good frame of mind now that this Krakoa issue is done and that everyone's been saved and now the mansion is full of people that don't know each other. So, okay, there are two people who really come off badness. One of them is Warren, and one of them is Iceman. Now, while sequentially the Iceman story happens first, Jonah, you've already touched a little bit on how angry the Warren story made you. Do you want to let us know a little bit about what an annoying misogynist he was? Well, let's see. I actually didn't mind his interactions with Storm. That was fine to me. It's when he got to Jean and Logan that... I was like, Warren, you're a hypocrite. You're saying Gene is spoken for, but I have never seen you committed to one woman and you constantly flirt with other women, especially when you have future bows. So I don't understand that kind of comment. Also, Gene can defend herself. She doesn't need you. And you're also, I don't know, nowhere near as powerful as Wolverine or Gene. And number three, from what we've read in different Uncanny, it's not that Scott and Gene don't love each other at this point in their lives, but they're also kind of okay. Well, not really okay, but they all also make out and are with other people and the only thing they get upset about is well i guess i have to try harder next time to show them i love them they're never you know you know what i mean i absolutely do i think it's kind of hard to look at the x-men and not accept that to some extent they're poly like like a big poly commune like fuck shack because like there's no question and you know after everybody almost dies you kind of got to blow off steam and it's sort of like the olympic village everybody looks gorgeous so it kind of comes down to the emotional 
ties that define them. I don't know. I'm with Jonah on this. The whole thing was meh. Do either of you have a strong feeling on Warren either way in this scene? Because, you know, ultimately it's mostly just pluck the bastard. Yeah, I honestly, I thought that he was in the wrong. His whole little mini arc in this really was unnecessary. I agree, Dylan. I completely agree. All these, the little mini stories of after them getting back to the mansion and whatnot, besides his and Iceman's, I think it was just trying to humanize them a little bit and show that they're not always superheroes, but then they also need to all catch a breath after they have a big giant mission. And all this did for Warren was just show that he's... A douchebag. And speaking of douchebags, Kyle, you know, it's come up on shows with you before, but you'd never had an opportunity to read it for the show. Yeah. Kyle, what is your take on the Iceman moment all said and done? You you guys tried to explain to me how bad Bobby was in this. And honestly, it was just, it really makes me hate him. He was incredibly petulant. He, he didn't give anybody a chance. And I didn't realize just how much he used his powers against Thunderbird. Yeah, that's that's a lot of ice power against a uh, person. And yeah, I, I think he really went overboard with his reaction to everything. Absolutely. There's just such a sense of 05 entitlement, if such a thing exists, that I feel like Claremont almost has like a sense of bitterness against the original five because he didn't write them at the time. But not really, but kind of me. So... Hi, this is Joey Lewandowski. I run the Cage Club Podcast Network, and I've been here a couple times on X's for Podcast doing my own baby entry into comics thing. Nico had me read two issues today to talk about the New Mutants graphic novel from 1982 and A Day Like Any Other, the Kitty Pride birthday story from 1983. As Nico has mentioned on both the Powerhouse episodes of this show, as well as the main run of the show, I've started reading the House of X and Powers of Ten comics because they are so exciting. I think what's special about House and Powers is that it is a great entry point for someone who knows the X-Men from the movies, but not necessarily from the comic books. And I think Nico wanted me to read these two issues to see if they had the same kind of effect on me. So first up, the New Mutants graphic novel. I didn't love it because I don't know who any of these people are. And I know that that's the point of this, that the issue is introducing you to new characters because the current X-Men are lost in big space. And this is going to be a replacement or a fill-in or new characters for you to care about and follow and hopefully add to the team down the road. As a sort of standalone issue for someone who's not extremely invested in the comics, I thought it was fine. It just didn't grab me in a way that I would go back to over and over again. It's not the kind of issue that makes me think, oh, what's going to happen next? I like the ragtag bunch of misfits, the found family element of this that I'm, I know is part of the entire X-Men's appeal. I like that at the very end they are all adorned in their matching outfits with a little bit of flair for each and, and having Professor X know that he has to understand and appreciate and respect their individuality. I think that's a cool touch. I just don't know these characters from the movies, I don't think. Nico, do I? And there isn't anything about this issue that makes me want to say, oh, I need to, I need to know more. Not that it's bad. I don't think that it's bad. I just think that it's not for me. And this is also coming from someone who has basically not spent the time in getting invested in comics just just because I literally do not have the time to enter another pop culture wormhole as much as I would like to. I think the Kitty Pride story, A Day Like Any Other, was a little bit better. 
This almost feels like a VR experience, sort of like, hey, kitty, show me around the school. I think it works well as someone joining onto the X-Men, the X-Men that they, they've heard of. I think this would work better for me because it gives you some little bit of insight into characters like Wolverine or like Cyclops or whoever because you're seeing their rooms, you're seeing their interactions. They know Kitty. Kitty knows them. I also really do like Kitty. I know that Jonah professes his love for Kitty a lot on these episodes. I think she's a fun, cool character, and I like getting her point of view on a lot of these things. I think it's weird that she changes into a bathing suit in the middle of this issue, especially after the fact that the issue makes such a big deal of the fact that she's 14. I know that Nico and Jonah and the rest of the guys over here have pointed out time and again that, that these issues tend to sexualize both its male and female characters in ways that are sometimes okay and sometimes icky. And I don't know if that's what's happening here, but I can't help but feel like that's possibly the case. I think this was a cute, fun, sweet story, and I enjoyed reading it. And while it doesn't make me want to read more X-Men issues, it kind of inspires me to read a little bit more about Kitty and see what she's up to and what her story is. I don't want to end this segment on a downer. I don't want to come on a show that's all about the X-Men and sort of praising the X-Men and talking about how great and important these comics are, these issues are. By reading these issues proves to me how important and how special and how amazing Powers of Ten and House of X are in that they're able to capture someone like me who is a very, very, very casual comic book reader and giving me a reason to look forward to Wednesdays in a way that I never have before. I do want to thank Nico for again doing this podcast and giving me a reason to dabble into the world of the X-Men in a way that I haven't before. I also do want to thank him for encouraging me to read the House of X and Powers of Ten issues. And I'm always down to read new stories and see if I can find a new entry point into the franchise. Maybe I'll be on here in the future talking about Kitty Pride. I don't know. But if you want more of me and my thoughts that aren't quite about comics, I run too many podcasts here on the network. You can find out about all those shows at cageclub.me slash joey, or follow me just about anywhere on the internet at soulpopped. I actually think you can sort of piece together all of the different versions of all of this and kind of get a really good issue out of it. I do think that the Kitty Ileana stuff sticks out like a red herring. It's just so awkward. And in terms of the bigger picture, I don't think it reads well with Giant Size number one. I probably would have included it with New Mutants over Giant Size X-Men number one. It would have brought the page count up a little bit too. But overall, what did you guys think deep diving into the different forms of giant size x-men number one kyle so i realized that because of the way they handled the re-release of the stories that it made sense to release giant size x-men number one again but i agree with you i do think that kitty and iliana's little story would have worked better somewhere else and i'm not sure that 1983 was the the right time to be re-releasing it as well i agree i think it was a really good opportunity to help remind people where the incredible X-Men came from. Dylan, how did you feel about the hat trick of Giant Size X-Men? It's a little redundant to have this story told three different times, but the little bits here and there that were added, like I said, I, I like that they added the parts after Krakoa to try to humanize the X-Men and 
show that they could be just mentally exhausted after a mission instead of it just being a comic book story where they go on missions and then the next issue they go on another mission. So it's nice to see. I think this is the beginning of many times where the X-Men show downtime, but then to also have a book like Classic that shows that maybe not necessarily everyone is happy that another X-Men team had to be formed to save the original. I love it. Jonah, what do you think? Here's what I think. I think the original did a good job in introducing the new characters to form the new team and having new bodies to work with. I think where the reprint for the classic issue went wrong in that it made all of the old X characters, excluding Lorna and Havoc, a little too harsh to make the others seem likable. And I think that was at the expense of characters that didn't need to be done. You can make people excited for new characters and feel okay having their old characters shift out without showing negative qualities to an extreme. And I think the reprint with the Kitty Ileana story was just a cute way to show friends between girls. I don't think it was fully necessary to add a whole nother new story of Kitty's surprise birthday party, but that's okay. I agree. Like we said, it was a cute, easy story that just, it went off without a hitch, really. Guys, I've had such a great time talking about Giant Size X-Men with you was a whole lot less overwhelmingly negative than last time. And until we come back to take a look at another comic, Kyle, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? You can find me at my Facebook group for all things X-Men. That is named House of X. And you can also find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. The amazing Jonah, where can everybody find you? Doing gymnastics in Kurt's room. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this network on shows like Now and Again, which I do with my childhood best friend Chris Podcast, where we talk about the Now That's What I Call Music release franchise. I'm also on an amazing show called HTML with my wonderful husband, Keva, where we talk about movie franchises currently deeply ensconced in the Alien Legacy run. You can also find me all over this show on our many feeds like Dawn of X or Thor Bros. You can find me on Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C. A-C-T-I-O-N. And until next time, we'll see ya. See ya. Ciao. Goodbye.